A little over a century ago, a bishop made it known in his community through his preaching and through his writing that he thought that it was against the will of God and impossible for anything heavier than air to take flight. Now, he was mistaken, and that honor, uh, irony really came to light when his two sons, the sons of Bishop Wright, his sons Orville and Wilbur, <laughs> went on to actually invent the first motorized aircraft. We get things wrong from time to time, don't we? We make predictions, we make decisions, and we just don't always get it right. We long for, we hope for Phoenix Suns victory last night, and it didn't come. Still a little depressed this morning, but it's okay. And so we walk through this life, and, and we try to make things happen, but we don't always get it right. So, so how do we function? Well, we're in this series that's called Foolproofing Your Life. And we're taking a look at what's called the Book of Wisdom or one of the wisdom books here in the Book of Proverbs. And we want to offer you some life hacks, some really some practical biblical guidelines to help you walk in the way of wisdom. And so today I want to talk about really this idea of the choices we make. But before we jump into it, just a quick review is that wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge means no, wisdom means do. Knowledge is required for wisdom because you want to know the right thing to do, but wisdom comes into play when you actually go and do it. So the idea of wisdom is discernment plus obedience equals the way of wisdom. Well, today we are going to talk about what I've entitled the paradox of God's plan. The paradox of God's plan, because for thousands of years, people have debated really the role of how much is up to God and how much is up to man. In other words, how much is dependent on the sovereignty of God and how much is dependent on the free will of man. And so we're not going to solve that debate, that discussion in, in 30 minutes here today. But what I want to do is just give you a biblical guide or discussion or starting point to have these conversations because I believe scripture gives us a foundation that allows us to practically live out our faith. So we can answer questions like, can you know the will of God? How much is up to the will of God? How much is up to my will? Or what is the connection between my plans and God's plans? So if you open up your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 16, and we're going to read a few verses there. And these verses start here in verse 1. It says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. And then a little bit later, in verse 9, it says that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So the question I have for you this morning is that when it comes to work in our lives, what is God's part? And then what is our part? 
I was studying in preparation for this message, uh, a message from Tim Keller, pastor, author, writer, and I'm going to borrow a language for two phrases that he shared because I think it really helps us paint the picture to understand this passage because we tend to lean one way or the other. Either it's all God or all us. And so I'm, I'm here to ask the question, so what percentage is that? Is it, is it 50% God? Is it 50% us? Is it 90% God? 10% us? I'm here to tell you, yes. There's a tension that's hard to describe that somehow is both 100% God and 100% man. And it actually makes sense and gives us some common ground and common sense that we can actually live out our faith in a practical way. Here's why I say that. First, if it's only up to God, we could be passive. The temptation is to be passive in our faith. That if it doesn't matter what we do anyway, if God's gonna do what he's gonna do, then why, why try to do anything? If you've seen, there's like a whole group of movies that are fatalistic and, and you know you are destined for this one place or another and, and that they, the characters in these movies tend to escape death or escape fate and then spend the rest of the movie trying to escape their destined fate or things there too. And, and so there's this side of like a whole group of movies, but we don't necessarily love that because why would we be motivated to do anything? at this point. If it's only on God and, and there's nothing up to you, then we can just sit back and whatever happens, happens. We lose our motivation because we, we don't have a part to play. I mean, we love the idea that God has a plan, right? And even, you know, people sing about God's plan, you know, I hold back, sometimes I won't. Okay, sorry, that was, that was pretty bad. If you got that reference, you should pray more. And if you didn't, you're probably more spiritual, okay? I feel joy, sometimes I don't. Okay, okay, no, sorry. I'll just stop right there. That was from the theologian uh, Drake and uh, talking about God's plan. But here's the thing is that while we love the security of God's plan, what do we do then with our personal desires and dreams? Because God has given you a personality. He's given you goals. He's given you ambition. You have a desire for a relationship. You have all these things. And so what do you do with those? Because if it's only up to God, then well, just sit back, be married, do whatever, whatever you want, because it doesn't matter anyway. Actually, our world teaches this worldview from a standpoint of just do what you want. Do what feels good. You do you person with the most toys wins. It's it this concept that whatever you like, just go for it. doesn't matter. That's actually kind of depressing, isn't it? But here's the thing though, that while if it's only up to God, we might be passive. The other side is just as scary, if not scarier, because if it's only up to us, we would be paralyzed. We would be paralyzed because that's a lot of pressure. Have you ever done something and just felt sweaty? I was sweaty watching the Phoenix Suns game last night and I had no part of the outcome, right? You get nervous, like, oh man. I remember 
I remember when we had our first child, I'd never changed a diaper before in my life. And so uh, I'm sitting there in the hospital room and my wife is just over there sleeping. Like she worked hard in this process. Okay, she did. I can joke. I joke. My wife was in first service. I can say it. Honey, I love you. And you did all the work. I did nothing. Okay. So she was tired from giving birth. I was tired uh, from getting up from a nap. And, uh, and so she said, hey, can you change this diaper? And I remember sitting over the little hospital crib incubator fry box that, you know, they put in under the warmers. And I was just like, I got so nervous. Like this little person, like I'm in charge of this person, this breathing thing. And then, and then you go home and you're like, go home. Like the book, you know, what to expect when you're expecting does not prepare you for the feeling of inadequacy that you have when you're driving home from the hospital with your first child. And you feel this pressure that has to be perfect. But here's the thing. We are not perfect, right? That's a lot of weight. Imagine if someone's eternity was solely based on your actions. That's terrifying because we mess up all the time. We make mistakes constantly. And then even not our mistakes, our desires change. Think back to elementary school or junior high or high school. Like, think about the different people that you had a crush on at one point in time. Or what you desired to do. Chances are things in your life have dramatically changed. Right? What if you were still committed to that hairstyle from 20, 30 years ago? Right? Like our desires change. Our lives change. And so we think we know what we need, but most of the times we don't. If we're up to the kids, they would be on a steady diet of Sour Patch Kids and pizza. And bedtime would be optional. And they go, what? I know, Dad. I know, Mom. Well, no, you don't. But neither do we. The other thing that's terrifying that if it was only on us, then how do you handle it when you face the consequences or the ripple effects in the pond when somebody else threw the stone? What happens when you suffer because somebody else's decisions? That's paralyzing because how do you move forward and how do you explain? Sometimes bad situations happen and they're not a direct result of your decisions. How do you, how do you explain cancer or betrayal or job loss? You know, if 2020 teaches us anything is that we're really not in control at all. <laughs> and so that's terrifying. If you stop and think about it even, the reason we worry is typically one of two reasons. First, we worry for things outside of our control. It's not in our control, so that stresses us, right? We worry about our spouse, our kids, our friends, our parents, our health, the team, whatever it is. And then the other side of it is we worry when things are in our control. Have you ever stayed up late, stressed about a meeting you were gonna have the next day? 
or a conversation you're going to have the next day or about a new job or position or activity. That stresses you out, doesn't it? There's a reason you can't go to sleep because you can't turn your mind off for one reason, either because a circumstance out of your control or the weight of a circumstance in your control, both of which leave you paralyzed. Now, here's the thing. We want control. <laughs> to quote theologian Emmett Brown to Marty McFly at the end of the Back to the Future series, is really there that your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. And we all fly off in our hovercrafts and into the future. We want that, right? But then we know that it's not reality. So here we find ourselves. Like, wow, John, thanks for encouraging us today. <laughs> and so where is the tension between God's control and our responsibility? If it's only up to God, we could be passive. Is it only up to us, we could be paralyzed. But I wanna share with you a third, and I believe better way that comes from this passage this morning. And it's the tension between both, and it's this. When it comes to work, be peacefully persistent. When it comes to work, be peacefully persistent. See, our peace does not come from within ourselves, but from God. There is peace in knowing that God is in control and that God can give purpose to your pain and that God is bigger than your mistakes. Have you ever made a bunch of mistakes, but then ended up in the right place? Have you ever been exactly where you needed to be and think, man, I can't believe I ended up here? <laughs> See, God works through your mistakes guess what? God actually can work through the mistakes of other people. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Joseph. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. It was his, his brothers that threw him into slavery. He actually was pure and, and stayed pure. And so it was Potiphar's wife that had him thrown into jail. It was the other people in the jail that forgot about him. And so he had all these difficult and bad circumstances, which if he's thinking, man, it's up to me, what did I do? But God actually worked in all those situations and ultimately positioned Joseph to ultimately become the second in command and then to save a nation. We just walked through the series in Ruth a couple weeks ago. And Ruth experienced hardship after hardship after hardship, but yet God was present that whole time. And that's where our peace comes from in the New Testament. Mark chapter four, the disciples who are fishermen are in a storm so bad that fishermen are afraid for their lives. But they could end up with peace. Why? Because they had Jesus in their boat and that Jesus in a word could rebuke the storms. And so we can have peace because God is in control. But then God also tells us to follow him and to be obedient. See, here's what's interesting. Jesus says both of these statements. Jesus says, follow me. But then he also says, fear not. Follow me. That, there's this idea of responsibility on our part. 
But this is where God's sovereignty and predestination comes into play, that he actually empowers us and gives us the ability to then follow him. And we mess up and the world mess up and and we are surrounded by storms and darkness and uncertainty all around us. Jesus commands us then to fear not. The same God tells us to follow him and to fear not. And so that allows us to be both peaceful and persistent. In that passage in Proverbs, when it says, commit your work to the Lord. At first glance, when I read that, I I thought it said, okay, commit my plans to him. But actually, it goes more simple than that. And just says, commit your work, commit your daily tasks to him. That word commit, That same root word is most commonly translated in other places as roll. When someone would roll a heavy weight or a stone into its proper position. So imagine for a moment that you have something that you can't carry. It's too heavy. And this idea that it's so heavy you can't even carry it that you would just roll it into its proper position because what's heavy for you is not heavy for God. That means that God wants your to-do list. God wants your email, your meeting, your conversation, your attitude, your morning, your, your afternoon, what you say to him at night. He wants that work. He says, take that weight off of your life and commit it. Roll it to its proper position because what's heavy for you is not heavy for God. As we prepped for the Arizona oven summers as they've become, you know, I moved here. Everyone's like, oh, it's a dry heat. 120 though like i don't care how dry it is like like you know pizza ovens are dry too but that that puppy is hot and so we got one of those little pop-up pools you know from like walmart kind of thing pop-up pools for the kids so i'm putting it together but uh, apparently they don't want to stand on rocks and so i um i got sand to put underneath and sand's pretty cheap so you can get a lot of it so i i bought over a thousand pounds of sand from home depot that's, a, that's heavy, okay? Even for me, I know, I know you think I'm fairly strong. Um, I am not. That was a lot of weight. And I can't move my car to the backyard, so how am I going to carry 1,000 pounds of sand? And so, oh, wait, I got a wheelbarrow. So I rolled it out. I was like, this is going to be great. And I loaded up the wheelbarrow. It was a lot tougher than that. It was more like... I'm at the age where I just make noises. Do you, do you reach that point in your life? If you haven't, you will. Worship team, you guys, you guys will get there where you'll just like get up from a chair and go, ah, and like people will ask you if you're okay. And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. And you don't even realize you're doing it. Anyway, it's coming. Not to scare you, but to prepare you. Okay. And so I'm making those ah, bag of sand. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, all right. I go to lift it up and it goes ah, and tips over and falls everywhere. I'm like, oh. I'm like, I thought this was supposed to be easy. What I didn't realize that sitting out in the sun, the tire was flat on the wheelbarrow. And there was no weight in the wheelbarrow. So like, I didn't notice it wheeling it. And then when I tried to roll it, it did not work. So I hit one bump and sand went everywhere. And I thought to myself, that kids don't need a pool. I think we're good. I think we're good. We tried, right? Like it's tried, we're almost there. And so, no, so I got the pump, filled up the tire and then put the sand in, we got it all good to go. And I realized that you had to have a device. You had to have something that was ready to carry the weight. Here's the thing, that God is ready to carry what weighs you down. 
but he wants you to commit that daily activity to him. Are you willing to give even the simplest things to him? Because it requires persistence and obedience and following on our part. Author and psychologist and researcher Angela Duckworth um, defines grit in this way. She says, grit is defined as perseverance and passion for long-term goals. Perseverance and passion for long-term goals. It's the day in, day out, day in, day out. And it's a grind. But through her research, she discovered that the number one factor between success and failure wasn't IQ, it wasn't talent, it was work ethic and grit that made the difference. If you take this idea of grit, the major biblical characters all had to go through stuff. They did. Noah, 120 years, he building an ark. Abraham, 25 years waiting for his promised child to be born. You have Joseph that I mentioned earlier, being sold into slavery and into prison and all these movements. And then before he was in a position of leadership. You, you see Daniel going through a lion's den. You see Moses in the wilderness for 40 years, coming back, freeing the people, but then back in the wilderness for 40 years. You have David watching sheep in the fields before he faced Goliath. You have Ruth who was gleaning in the fields before she connected and ended up married to Boaz. You end up in the New Testament. You have Jesus didn't start his ministry to his roughly 30 years old. And they experienced hardship after hardship after hardship. Peter, Paul, the disciples, everyone experienced conflict and hardship. Why do we think that the Christian faith that if we believe will just be hashtag blessed and then nothing bad will ever happen to us? You want to know how many chapters in the Bible are without conflict? Three. Three are without conflict. Genesis 1 and 2. And by Genesis 3, we've messed it up for all humanity. Thanks, Adam and Eve. And then every chapter is filled. And if it's not overt, it's, it's indirectly. And people complaining and crying and crying out and feeling the emotions and the effects of it. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus is perfect. He is God. And every chapter he experienced difficulty. And if Jesus is going to experience conflict and betrayal and doubt and, and loss and temptation and all these hard things, why do we think it's going to be absent from us? And the, new, the church starts and they have inward conflict and outward persecution and all these things happening. And then finally, in Revelation 20, upon the return of Jesus, he finally has the final conflict and deals with Satan once and for all. And then in Revelation 21, everything is perfect again. That's three out of the whole book. So as Christians, we have to be ready for it. It's coming. We have to have the grit, the perseverance, and the passion to go after it. Parenting is hard. Marriages are hard. Friendship work is hard. But it's worth it. When you're feeling down and you're feeling frustrated and you're struggling, whether in your own mistakes or the mistakes of someone else, this is where the sovereignty of God comes in and it's comfort. 
Pastor Rick Warren puts it this way. He says that the sovereignty of God is meant to comfort us, not to club us. The sovereignty of God is meant to comfort us, not to club us. If you've experienced a religious person who uses the word of God as a weapon to like, bop, bop, bop. <laughs> That's not what it's for. Now, don't be mistaken, because we also love to say this, don't we? Don't, you can't judge me. You, you're not my judge. God's my judge. Okay, he's a scarier judge, just FYI. Okay, his standard's much higher than mine. We love to play judge, but we don't want to be judge. So, lest you know, God sees and hears everything you say and do. So let us walk humbly before him and understand that. But then as we hear his word and we see the sovereignty, the fact that he's in control, that should bring us comfort. Have you ever been or ever seen a child try to get out of a jacket or piece of clothing they don't want to wear? They can't get the button or the zipper and they're like, and they start flailing everywhere. I had this really cool moment, and by cool, I mean it was super embarrassing when I was in high school. I was, uh, I, like, friends were out in the field just outside of the school. There's about 100 people out there. I could have just walked around the gate, but, you know, I'm a basketball player. I'm playing sports. I'm going to show my athleticism, so I'm going to hop this fence. So I went sprinting up, hopped the fence, cleared it. I was sailing. I was like, oh, I believe I can fly. I'm just like, here, I'm like, hey, what's up, what's up, dude, what's up? What I didn't plan on is that as I was flying, my jacket was flying and caught the top pole of the fence. And then next thing I know, I'm like stuck like this and I'm hanging from the fence and I'm six foot five and the fence was like, you know, about seven feet. So my feet are just like, can't touch the ground. And they're in front of all my friends and everyone I was trying to impress. I'm like flailing like this. And so... So I like as quickly as I could just start trying to like zip and I'm just like with all this thing, just kind of like, and then I stand up like, hey, what's up? Did not look cool at all. Okay. Some of us look like that when it comes to understanding God. But the sovereignty of God is not like that that we're trying to break out of. Instead, picture a warm blanket next to the fireplace on a freezing night, right? There's security, there's comfort. They're saying, God, I don't know. I don't know about this diagnosis. I don't know how I'm going to break this addiction. I don't know what I'm going to do, but you do. And that's enough. See, God predestines and calls us and draws us to him. And that should be a comfort in our lives because God moves and has purpose, even in our pain. And so he, he tells us to fear not. And so we can lay our head down on the pillow at night and sleep soundly because he's in control. And we can wake up the next morning and we can roll the weight, commit our work to him and enter that meeting, that email, that conversation that car line, whatever the responsibility may be, we may enter with courage and with faith and with strength and endurance because God also gave us a job to do. Because when it comes to work, we can be peacefully persistent.
See how that relieves a lot of tension? It actually makes a lot of sense. So is it up to God? Yes, a resounding yes. Do we have responsibility? Yes, because God wants us to be a part. So I was wrapping up um, series and I was looking through passages and, and so what came to mind was Proverbs 3, which we looked at a couple weeks ago and in 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. See that connection? Then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You might not like your boss, but I hope you like your God because you're not working for him, you're working for him. Does that make sense? When we first read our passage today, I'm guessing that most of you in this room focused on words like heart, oh, heart, or plans, or man, because we're pretty self-focused, right? Like, have you ever been at a sporting event or a anything shot on TV and you are in the crowd, what do you do when you go home? You try to spot yourself, right? Like, oh, I'm right there, right? So we, we look for ourselves. And so we try to find ourselves in those passages. But did you notice in the first verses in, in Proverbs 16 that we read today, did you notice God in these verses? Because if you do, you see the strength behind them. Verse one, the plans of heart belong to man, Okay. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. How many of you could use an answer right now? I could. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. So the Lord knows our heart and our motives. Verse three, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That's passive. If you're not establishing your plans, who is? God is, right? When you align your heart with God's heart, you start to see the world as God sees the world and you start to walk in the way of wisdom. And then in verse nine, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. If you wanna see answers to prayer, if you wanna know the motive of your heart, if you want your plans to be established, your steps to be laid out, it starts with committing your life and your work to the Lord. I was trying to wrap up sermon prep on in the afternoon earlier this week. I'm sitting in my chair in the living room and on my laptop trying to figure out an illustration to how to close the service. When just then I hear the door open up and my youngest Chloe wakes up from a nap, but kind of semi wakes up. Like my, I love kid bedhead. You know what I'm talking about? Like kids walk out, they kind of shuffle, their eyes aren't open and hurt. Like they go to sleep, the hair's like this. They wake up, hair's like, Poof, right? So she's kind of waddling out, eyes kind of like this. She walks up, doesn't say anything. I don't say anything. And she crawls in my lap and then just lays her head down and she falls back asleep. Now, there are moments as a parent that you want to pull your hair out. But when your child lays on you and just peacefully rests, there's nothing better. And in that moment, Chloe is not worried about anything just simply resting in the arms of her father. And that's what God wants for you and for me. Will you pray with me?
Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your son. God, thank you that you came and you loved us so much, Jesus, that you came and died on the cross for us and that you rose again, defeating death. And God, because you rose, we can rise. And God, help us to walk in this way of wisdom. God, you are fully sovereign and in control and they've called us to do things and to become men and women after your own heart. And so God, because of that, we don't have to be passive. We don't have to be paralyzed because you are in control and then you've also given us a job to do. Help us to love you more today than we did yesterday and help us to love others the way that you have loved us. Let us find rest and peace in your sovereignty. Let us fear not, but then let us turn and commit our lives, commit our work and our daily tasks to you because we have a job to do and you give us a purpose. So let us walk in that purpose today. We love you, God. Help us to be peacefully persistent this week.